I remember occasions when she would be angry at something that I did and and after insulting me calling me names like why are you so stupid why you um, why you dumb you know very derogatory words this is she thrives a safety in the workplace podcast brought to you by african women on board awb the podcast is an important part of awb's violence against women in the workplace initiative and is funded in part by ford foundation my name is omoye uzamere and i'm your host as we discuss violence against women in the workplace and how we can make a difference on this series we will encounter the real life experiences of women from bankers to waiters market women to executive assistants students and several others whose work has been affected either through acts of harassment or domestic violence. Our primary guest today is an executive assistant whose name will not be disclosed, but whose experience we will share. This is her account. A few years ago, I was hired as the executive assistant to a manager of an event facility, and I experienced violence in my workplace. This is my story. Working for my manager, working for my boss at that time, I experienced a lot of verbal abuse. There were a few battery here and there, but not an actual, not actual assaults. I remember occasions where I was insulted verbally, using a lot of cuss words uh, in front of staff, in front of junior staff, in front of guests during an event. I remember benefits that were supposed to come to me that didn't come to me on time or even through her. They came because one of the directors or one of the partners realized that I was overdue for those um, benefits and, and then started working on it. I remember occasions when she would be angry at something that I did. And after insulting me, calling me names, I remember names like, why are you so stupid? Why are you, uh, why are you dumb? You know, very derogatory words. There were some words that I, I remember even having to ha- check the dictionary for their meanings. You know, she would not then not talk to me at work for three to four weeks and we we're just two people in the office. Imagine how difficult that would have been. You know, this went on for a while, you know, and one of the main reasons why is because she figured I did not have anywhere to go, especially because I was branching out from my profession into the hospitality industry, which I really wanted to do at that time. So it just continued. The truth is this took a toll on me and it affected how I saw myself. It affected my confidence level. It affected how I believed in myself. It affected how competent I, I, I thought I, I or I, I, I see myself as being. Because I remember when I was going to get another job in the capacity of a manager, I didn't believe that I could do it. Because all I was remembering was the words from my manager, how I wasn't good enough, you know. So it really affected, it affected my mind. It affected, there were days at work that I would be shaking from fear because I don't know what I'm going to meet today or what she's going to say today or what is going to happen today. 
well that's that's uh that's profound now violence in this case was economic oppression and harassment as well as malicious behavior verbal abuse and battery now we have with us our secondary guests Habiba Balogun, who is an organization effectiveness consultant, and Giti Chandra, a senior researcher and lecturer with the Gender Equality Studies and Training, that's the GEST program at University of Iceland. Now, I think it is worthy of note to say that women can be perpetrators of workplace violence even without knowing it. I believe also that's the purpose of this podcast, to sensitize everyone on what workplace violence really is because sometimes we do these things without knowing what we're doing. Now, my question for Habiba is this. Do the Nigerian labor laws really protect women from workplace violence? And how can women defend themselves? How can women defend their position based on the provisions of the law? Well, yeah, so it was very distressing, actually. You know, when she said she was shaking, some morning she'll be shaking with fear. You know, I've been doing research on, you know, violence in the work, well, harassment in the workplace for many years um, and more in-depth since 2017. And I hadn't heard of someone shaking with fear coming to the office. I've heard of someone not being able to get up in the morning and having to call in sick because they felt so bad. But, that, you know, that shaking with fear, that's a really visceral reaction. It's very, yeah. very sad. What are the protections? So labor law, Nigerian labor law or the Labor Act does not protect um, women or anybody from workplace violence, but there are other protections. So there's our constitution. Okay, so the constitution, 1999 constitution of the Federal Republic of Nigeria protects the fundamental rights of any worker to dignity and personal liberty. Okay, and there have been cases that have been found in favor of employees when they've been treated in such a way that their dignity has been undermined and it's clear to everybody. So things like that verbal abuse, um, yes. they're making somebody feel less than, less than human, subhuman, not talking to somebody for three weeks when it's just two of you in an office. Um, and then she said hit physical, but not assault. So I don't know how that cannot be assault. Maybe she means she slapped me, but she didn't punch me or kick me. I don't know. Yes, I think she. what she said was there were a few instances of battery, but no assault. And I, I was, interestingly, I was coming to that, but go ahead. So, yeah. that, so that's number one. So there is prote protections under our constitution. The second protection is national industrial court, but that requires somebody to have the means or the leisure. You either have the means to get a lawyer or you have the leisure, you have the time to go to legal aid or office of the public defender or somebody and make your case and let them take it to court for you, okay? But the National Industrial Court actually has specific protections for the employee, but those protections will be either reinstatement of your job or financial compensation, okay? okay? So um, it's not going to send anybody to jail. Um, but in terms of bullying, and intimidation, which is what is going on here, rather than sexual harassment. Yes. Unless the person can prove that they've been rendered so mentally and emotionally um, distraught that they can no longer work, they can no longer earn an income, okay? Because if you can prove you've been treated in such a way that your ability to earn an income 
has been affected, then there are the laws of tort yes. that would protect you, okay, in cases like that. But other than that, sexual harassment is the one that has now become specified that you can get sent to jail and everything else. But for bullying, oppression, intimidation like this, no, there isn't any um, real protection. Yes, I agree also because the burden of proof is on the victim. Now, my question to you, Gitty, is, um, okay, so she did say that there were a few instances of battery. Now, going off your recent work, the Handbook of the Politics of the Me Too movement. Now, my question is, how would you address the fact that in some cases, women can also be perpetrators of workplace violence? Yeah, I mean, I think that... Um in this case, as Habiba points out, I'm not sure that this is sexual harassment, although we know that women can also be perpetrators of sexual uh, violence um, to, to other women, not just to other men, uh, yes. in various ways. Um, but I would say that there is a kind of masculinist culture, and we know that patriarchy is an ideology. It's not a person. Women can be patriarchal, men can be feminist. We know this. Um, and it seems very much to me when, when she was speaking, it sounded exactly like the way in which senior men, we call it disciplining, you know, you discipline the women like you would children and you teach them the rules of the game. You say, this is how it's going to be if you want to be here. And if you want favors and if you want to be patted on the head and if you want to be treated right, here are the rules of the game. You have to comply. And every time you show some resistance to it, the disciplining measure becomes harsher, hmm. right? And it's, it is, it is of course, the same way in which bullying works, right? This is exactly how bullying works, where the, the people who are the bulliers, they're like, well, this is the power hierarchy. This is what you have to do in order to, in order to flourish here. Otherwise, we're going to stamp you down. And this in itself is a very masculinist thing. Women learn it from men. It's not that women don't know how to do it themselves, of course. But in the workplace, it becomes a male culture. And I'll, I'll just explain why, in a, you know, very quickly. I mean, I'm, everyone here knows this, but just, you know, for listeners out there who might not make the connection. When companies don't hire women because, well, because you're a woman, they would rather hire a man, all other things being equal. Uh, because you are unmarried and will get married and won't leave or spend less time because now you have a house or because you are married, but therefore you're going to have children. So you will need maternity leave and why should they pay for that? Or because you have children, therefore you're not going to stay late hours, whereas the men will stay late hours. So why should they pay for you to, you know, the, the same amount, etc. So there's a number of reasons, as we know, why women don't get hired and men get hired. And what happens is that then the workplace becomes male dominated. There are more men than women. And the, the women, because they're a minority, because they're fewer, are more fearful of standing up. They are more aware that the job here is a privilege rather than a right. And that if they want to keep it, they better shut up if they're getting disciplined. They better shut up if they're getting harassed. Otherwise, you know, the man management will come back and say, see, this is why we don't hire women. You can't take a joke. You can't take a little bit of, you know, push and pull. You can't mm -hmm. take flirtation. This is why we don't, you know, so they shut up. And the fewer women they are, the more pressure there is on them to shut up. And so this kind of culture sort of permeates out. And whether women do it or men do it, eventually the, the root of it is the same in the workplace. I'm not saying that women can't be bullies. We all know that women can be every bit as, as mean and horrible as men. That's not the point. The point is that in the workplace, 
specifically, it becomes a male culture. So I, I mean, I, I think that in that sense, you know, if it were sexual harassment, I would say companies need to have a sexual harassment mechanism. You need to have a committee that is specifically for complaints. A committee needs to represent everyone. It needs to be headed by a woman. It needs to have more than 50% of its composition as women. It should have a lawyer on it. It should have an external expert who will be objective on it. It should not be answerable to the head of the institution. That is the absolute worst thing that you can do to any complaints mechanism. The minute they become answerable to the head of the institution, the head of the institution thinks of the good of the organization rather than the individual. Yep. Is my reputation going to be ruined if I allow this case to get out? If this senior guy is who has harassed the younger woman is bringing in more grants and funds in a university or is a bigger name in a corporation, do I lose by disciplining him? Yes. So therefore, I let. So the, the head of the institution should never be in charge. Should never be the final authority. The committee should be able to have its findings. Should be able to recommend measures, and it should be independent. It should answer to the courts. So in India, we had uh, what they call the Vishaka guidelines after a terrible case uh, in which the government, it was a, a law passed by parliament, they said every workplace needs to have a sexual harassment complaints committee. And it should be answerable to the courts, not to the head of the institution. And this worked actually amazingly. So I've served as, as, the, as the chairperson on the committee in, in my college for several years, and I know how much liberty and independence you get when you're not answerable to the head of the college. You're answerable only to the courts. If the people are unhappy with your decision, you go straight to the court. Okay. And it's amazing. So I, yeah, I mean that there's, I, I think that part of the work is sensitization. Tell yeah. people what harassment is. People don't recognize it as harassment. They take it as part of life because this is what we've grown up with as children in our houses, on the streets, in the playground, in <laughs> our schools. So when you see it in the workplace, you don't even recognize it. You don't have a name for it. I totally agree. Thank you so much. Now, Habiba, I want to ask you, how can we sensitize more women to their albeit unspoken role as protectors of other women in the workplace. And if you have any stories you'd like to share, you know, experiences you'd like to share, please feel free to do that. Well, I mean, there are several ways. Um, so the first way really is with, with what we like to call sensitization, but which I like to call education, <laughs> at least education to the awareness level. It doesn't have to go beyond that. Okay. So many women, you'll be really surprised, many women still feel being in the workplace is a privilege. They don't, yep. know, they don't know the business case for women in the workplace. They don't know that workplaces that have women in management and at the board level are more profitable. So they're bringing and they're adding value. They don't know this. They don't. Okay? So they're still in ignorance, thinking that you know, they have to be grateful for the favor that the men are doing them to let them be bestowed the for them. <laughs> once they, once you, once they, once they learn this, it's like light bulbs. Like what? That's the first thing. Two, they need to be educated about um, social justice and about human rights, about being seen as a human being first, and being seen as a woman or any other role, you know, second. Okay, so they don't see their role as 
women who, who, those who choose to give birth, right? Not every woman gives birth. So I don't know why they're lumping all women as if all women are, are wives, all women are mothers. That's not always the case, okay? But let's just say you are a wife or you are a mother. They don't realize that that societal role is a vital societal role. Without somebody playing those roles, no organization, no business can be in business, no organization, no, what's the point of society if you don't have members of society playing that valuable role? They don't know the value of the housekeeper's role. So if a woman is working inside the home, I, I like to say you're either working inside the home or outside the home, okay? It's a fraction of women who are not working. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so and the, the amount of work that they do in the home as homemakers has been quantified. You should be earning at least $35,000, okay, as an income. Because if a man had to pay, or you, a woman, had to pay somebody to look after your house, housekeeper, look after the kids, a cook, and do everything else, you would be paying a minimum of $35,000 a year for that, okay? So the value of their role even if they are outside the formal workplace, they are working in the home, they don't realize that. Yes. So, so they need to be educated about all of that. That's the first thing. The second thing is I do a lot of, um, of training and they don't realize that they're actually being discriminated against. When somebody is sexually harassing you, when somebody is bullying you, when it's a form of discrimination, it's preventing you from being your best in the workplace. It's preventing you from having opportunity, from equal opportunity. You don't have equal opportunity, okay? It's discrimination. It is against the, it's against the law. It's against our constitution, and it's against all these international treaties that, that we have that most countries have signed up to. They are not aware that that behavior that you're saying slightly, you know, all this behavior that you are downplaying, that you are minimizing, is actually illegal and is discriminatory behavior. It's treating you less favorably than men. And I'm not saying some men are not subject to harassment and bullying because it's more of a power dynamic than anything else. So as yeah. more women are, are becoming powerful, more women are actually becoming harassers themselves, right? Whether it's normal harassment or sexual harassment, that is clear, Indeed. but it's still very minimal. It's still over 90% male on female for now. So when they become aware of that, great. Now let's go to the central point of your question, which is how can women be part of the solution actively, actively. So I do training on how to intervene. Number one, know what is appropriate and what is inappropriate. Know where the line is between workplace romance and attraction and attraction and consent and harassment. Know where that line is, okay? And then know your company policies and know the laws. What are the sanctions? What do the law says? That's all the education part. The training part, the skill building part is how do you communicate with somebody without pointing fingers and in a blaming way to show them what, how, what their behavior is and the impact of their behavior on the person they're doing it towards? How can I point this out to somebody in a respectful way? Because in African cultures, I don't know what it's like in, uh, in, in India or in Iceland. I don't know, because I can tell you in African cultures, if you say it in a disrespectful way, they will forget the content of your message completely. And they will focus on, you are being disrespectful to your elders. Yep. Being disrespectful to your seniors. And that is it. So you have to have a way to communicate without, without being seen as being disrespectful. And so we can train women how to do that. And we do train women how to do that. And we get them to practice it. 
And then finally, how to be your role as an observer. Intervene in the direct way or in an indirect way. If it's safe, intervene there and then, hey, 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 what's going on? You know, this is wrong. If it's not safe, wait until afterwards, comfort the person, encourage the person to report, bring it to the attention of somebody in, sen in senior management or somebody in authority. You can do that. And for the new act that has just been passed in Nigeria this year against harassment in tertiary institutions, in educational institutions, lecturers mm -hmm. or their students, mm -hmm. observers have been given the right to petition. So you don't have to be the person who is the victim of it. As an observer, if you've noted it, you can put a petition in. So more and more people are realizing that the importance of observers being able to take action, not just leave it on the person who's suffering from the behavior. Thank you so, so much. Now, quickly, Giti, can you, um, now, if you remember in the interview with our primary guest, we see the effects of harassment on the individual, you know, and her belief in herself going forward on the job. How can women who experience similar situations protect their sense of self-worth? So for someone whose self-worth is battered to this extent, for someone who's a low-level employee, who has no power, I mean, I think that it's it's all very well for us to say believe in yourself, but until somebody else believes in you, it's very hard to do that. You know, mm -hmm. if you have parents who do it, that's great. If you come from a nurturing family, that's wonderful. It really goes a long way, but many people don't. We know that. In in, in India, as you were, you were asking Habiba, in India, it is exactly the same. I mean, we're, we're literally talking about very, very similar societies. You know, yeah. so anything that you face, you can pretty much assume that this is also <laughs> true of India, not of Iceland, but also definitely of India. I mean, I, I think that over so many years, my experiences find a sisterhood, find a friend, okay. find people who like yourself have gone through this, you know, process. You know, we, we tend to think of, of it not as a disease because we're not physically sick. But I mean, this woman was physically sick wasn't she? Yes, she was. She, yes, she, she was shaking. She is unable to go to work. I have good friends who are as privileged and everything as me who have faced, you know, various anxieties at work, who've broken out in physical symptoms, rashes and fevers and all kinds of stuff. We know this. But if you have an illness, you go and you find, uh, you know, you, you, you find um, a sisterhood, a company of people who suffer in the same way. And you say, what did you do? And you find some support from them. If you're an alcoholic, you go to Alcoholics Anonymous and you have a group of people who are your people. They're your community. Um, so it's very important, I think, to find other people who have suffered the way that you have, because it helps you to know, A, that you're not alone. B, this is not your fault. Yes. See that there are other people who are doing things that you could learn from, that you support them and that gives support to you. And I think that, I know this sounds very sort of feel good, new agey kind of thing, you know, whereas I, I think what would be great is to have a system or, or a law or something sort of more material that I could say, here, here's your answer. But no, 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 no. When it comes to self-esteem, only people who are in the same boat as you or have been there, they help. Yes. They, really, it's, I know this is not the answer people are looking for because it's, you know, you, we, want, we want a solution. We don't want social practices. 
but literally that's the only thing that helps to keep your self esteem up to know that you are being diminished by somebody deliberately once you know that then then you fight it thank you so so much this has been a profoundly revealing session very quickly in 30 seconds each would you like to make a closing statement yeah i would i'd like to say that yeah. so you know ladies we need to educate each other more and those of us who do know i think we need to be out there more um the younger generation are doing naming and shaming a lot more i still believe you need to follow proper processes you report properly to authorities before you name and shame don't just go and name and shame and try to do as much damage as you can without making sure there's a process in place to hold the person accountable thank you i just want to say one thing very quickly yes. i know i know that we should not do this irresponsibly irresponsible yes. naming and shaming i do not agree with however i do know that there are the reason that women survive in workplaces or anywhere else even in families is because women get together and there is a whisper network you say yes. be careful of that guy when yes. you when you're coming into in dorm rooms in in universities even in houses you're like be careful of that uncle don't go sit next to him after you know whatever he's had a drink right yes. we do this. and uh, the, these are ways of protecting each other yes right and when you put it on on a list and it goes out onto a google spreadsheet and it goes out into the in you know into the ether then we know that it's gone out yes. into the broader sphere but women do this when they have no other choice nobody does this deliberately and yes. of all the men who have been named there are maybe one or two who have had any kind of consequences we know this often the vulnerable have to fight with what tools they have yes. it's guerrilla warfare i know that there are lots of feminists who have yeah. fought for our right to due process and who've put due process there and of course we should go to due process but as habiba pointed out who has the time who has the money i have been on that i i have been on the side of you know the the harassed i have not uh, you know uh, press charges because i that's not what my life should be about i don't want mm-hmm. to do it I've also been the chairperson who's gone to women and said please come to me I swear I will give you justice and they have not come to me because they didn't trust me. Yes. So you know I the due process is there but it does not work for everyone all the time. Yes. And sometimes guerrilla warfare is all we have. So true. Thank you so much. African Women on Board remains passionate about amplifying African female voices, supporting African female empowerment, and helping to create a world in which African women and girls are given the tools and resources they need to fully realize their potential. If you'd like to collaborate or share your stories, please send an email to awb@africanwomenonboard.org. For more information, please visit our website on www.africanwomenonboard.org You can also connect with us on social media Instagram at awb.network Twitter at awbafrica LinkedIn at African Women On Board Facebook African Women On Board Thank you for listening. Have a lovely day.